Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. There's a sense of loss because these are people I've known for many years and I know their story, I've been part of their lives and the conversations between me and them change as the dementia advances. Hello, it's Steph Daly here and welcome back to Dementia in Practice. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast made by GPs for GPs and other health professionals looking to learn about dementia. Dr. Marita Long and Dr. Hilton Coppy from Dementia Training Australia are with me once again. And today we're going to talk about the GP's experience of walking alongside people living with dementia for their entire journey, from diagnosis right through to the end of life care and beyond. As we know, GPs are really looking after people right from birth through to death. And, you know, it's the typical cradle to grave um, euphemism, I guess. But with dementia, it's a, a really different experience. And I think we've all had that experience of perhaps making the diagnosis and and talking to families and carers. And today, what we thought we'd do is talk about our own experiences of that journey and and how we've dealt with it and and what we've learned along the way. And I guess, Hilton, you've probably been the GP the longest out of the three of us. No offence. But if you could just tell us a little bit about your experiences in this regard. Yes, thanks for reminding me, Steph, about my advancing years. I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking um, in the intro about uh, walking with people from diagnosis through their entire journey with dementia. Actually, in general practice, it starts before the diagnosis because we know people while they're still well or maybe have other medical conditions. And uh, since doing this work with Dementia Training Australia, I, I guess I've got increased awareness about the prevalence of dementia in in an aging population, similar to the prevalence of breast cancer in women and bowel cancer generally and diabetes in overweight people. And so I'm thinking as I'm looking after all my patients, I wonder if one day this particular person might get diabetes or might get dementia or might get depression and trying to take steps to uh, prevent it if possible. So this concept of the brain health checks that we've spoken about earlier uh, is part of that process. And then it's like it's having the antennae up is is what's happening for this person in front of me, could this be the first signs of dementia or is it something different? And that whole thing about the challenge of the diagnosis that we've spoken about in previous episodes plays out over quite a considerable amount of time in the real world of general practice. And it's not always easy. And I guess often for me, it's like there's this tension between being worried about the worst but hoping for the best. And, and, and then it's like walking with them through the diagnostic process in telling them what I think might be a possibility and why we're doing these things so that when the time of diagnosis comes, it's not like a complete shock for them. One of the other ways that I try to 
think about it's not almost it's almost not thinking it's like feeling and being aware of my emotional response to what's happening for the person and and it's like there's a sense of loss because often these are people I've known for many years and I I I know their story I've been part of their lives for quite a considerable amount of time and the conversations between me and them change as a dementia advances. So while there's this sense of loss for me, that must pale in comparison to the sense of loss for the person with dementia and for their family and the people close to them. And I don't know if you've had that experience too, Marita. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I guess we have a strong focus in general practice on prevention but I find when a patient does eventually get a diagnosis, whether it be dementia or diabetes or, you know, coronary artery disease, it almost feels like um, you've kind of failed the patient. Like I think we take our care so seriously that we feel like even though we've done, you know, the best that we can and we've 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 worked the hardest we can, it's almost like a personal failing sometimes when a when a patient does come through with that that diagnosis. So. Whilst it's a, 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 you know, a diagnosis is a good thing, it, it, there's a lot of um, emotions involved for the patient and for their GP. I suppose it's about not putting too much um, you know, pressure on yourself to, to you know, not everything is preventable, is it? Like, you know, although we have all these good strategies that we can use, a lot of it is genetics and, you know, sometimes things are already laid out for us, whatever we do, and, and you don't want to blame yourself or, or, or the patient to feel any sense of letting themselves down for for getting a diagnosis either. I mean, that's true for anything because some of these things can be quite, like, as we said before, dementia is stigmatising, but so so is diabetes or, you know, other things as well. Mm. It's a kind of a that sort of tricky space sometimes, isn't it? I think sometimes knowing what lays ahead puts us in that tricky space as well but we do know that for patients living with dementia part of what most people do want to know is a sense of what's coming up how how we might help them and how may how they may be able to live better with the diagnosis one of the challenges that i find is really discussing the end stages or the advanced stage what we would call stage three of dementia and, and having those difficult conversations that it is a terminal illness. And that's a harder one to kind of know when and where to broach. But I feel like it's a really important one to talk through um, as early as you can. But it's one that I find there's a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance to thinking about what it may look like and and what the care needs might look like. So that's that's probably my biggest my biggest challenge. And I feel like there's times where I've let patients and families down because I haven't been able to, um, I guess, impress upon them the importance that there is going to be this deterioration at some stage, and that what we really want to do as early as we can is get the best plans in place so that that time is a really a much smoother transition than than what often happens in general practice. Um, Marita, 
do you, I know that you've had a personal experience of with your father having had dementia. Do you feel able to share perhaps how it was from a, from a relative's perspective rather than being the, the GP? Yeah. I mean, it's always hard being the daughter and being a GP. Um, There's sort of that, always a bit of that clash there. It was really tricky with dad because he had no regular GP and he was a medico himself and he'd had a mother with dementia and we sort of always grew up with this, oh, you know, if that ever happens to me, shoot it attitude. That's what he would say. So it was really sad having to go through that process, you know, of having to to get a diagnosis. And it was really hard watching dad. He, he probably got a good diagnosis quite late because there was such a huge resistance. In fact, in order to, to get a diagnosis for dad, I had to just arrive at his house 8.30 in the morning and by quarter to nine we were heading heading to see a geriatrician because I'd tried to pre-organise appointments before and he could always weasel his way out of them somehow. He would always come up with an excuse or a reason why he was not going to, to go and he was he was quite a force to be reckoned with. So um, we decided that that would be the best way. Part of what his concern was was always that he was being treated like an old doddery man and he was a man who'd done a PhD and and had contributed to, you know, medical research and he was very proud of his intellect. Having to, to help mum care for him because, of course, often the, the carers are elderly and, and have their own medical problems as well. So that was that was really hard and it and it took a real strain on mum. And it was limited, you know, what we could do to help as well. And he, dad was never one for a big social life and he was a very private man. So having carers was a real challenge, but we eventually found one or two who dad um, actually really enjoyed their company. So that was great. And then of course he had a few falls and he was um, leaving the house when mum may not have been aware. So things started becoming more and more difficult. And so then transitioning him into a nursing home was a real fear we all had because he'd always said, don't ever put me in a nursing home, you know, don't ever do that to me, which I never say to my kids, never put me in a nursing home because I know how hard that was. But interestingly, you know, when he actually transitioned into the nursing home, he actually did did. Did quite well. I think he was in this setup that was specifically designed. It was a dementia specific unit. It was a lovely, um, a lovely place actually. And he actually, he actually did really well and settled in. So going to visit him was, you know, not the terrible experience that we'd all anticipated. And then he didn't survive very long in the nursing home. So we think he probably had a heart attack actually within probably eight months of, of being in the nursing home and sort of died quite quickly. It was a difficult journey, but I learned a lot, you know, as we all do when we have, have personal experience. I learned a lot about what some of the difficulties were and, and perhaps what some of the obstacles and barriers were, but actually have a lot of that wasn't as bad as what we, we had anticipated. Hilton, we probably have got time just to hear a bit about your experience, but I know that you also had a personal experience of, of having a father who had a diagnosis of dementia. Do you feel 
able to share a few pieces of information about that? Yeah, I was completely useless as a medical son to help my father, which, um, you know, it's it's not that great a feeling. I don't live in Sydney where my father lived, and uh, he was uh, perhaps different. Well, he was very different to uh, Marita's father in that uh, he wasn't medical and he was... Uh, very worried about getting dementia, but proactive. And so he was seeing a geriatrician for a few years who would do lots of tests and scans and tell him that he didn't have dementia. But dad was very concerned about his memory. And then clearly his memory was failing and he started to get some physical manifestations much earlier than what would be expected for Alzheimer's dementia. He started uh, having gait problems and he started falling. And I thought, there's something, there's something just not right. You know, that was the medical part of me going, this is not an average or normal dementia if there ever is such a thing. But he was seeing a geriatrician and a neurologist and getting lots of tests and scans, and no one was really diagnosing him with anything other than perhaps over-concern about memory and, and not exercising enough. But then his falls got really frequent and he had four falls at home in, in a day and his partner rang me and I said, oh, look, he's not safe. He needs to, to be in hospital to get this fully assessed. And so he went by ambulance to a hospital, which happened to be the hospital where I trained as, a, as an intern at a resident. I flew down uh, the next day and had the meeting with the team. And I thought he would um, get transferred to a rehab, get some exercises and go home. And, and they'd assessed him as being high care with uh, quite significant really what we would call stage three dementia. So he went from zero to stage three kind of overnight, and it was really shocking for everyone. He went from home to a, um, it was going to need to go to residential aged care without any of those transitional discussions at all. And uh, it fell to me to be the one to tell dad that he wasn't going to go home and that he was going to go into residential aged care. And it was, his attention wasn't great, but I was able to retain his attention or maintain his attention as I was explaining what was going on. And I said, so, and that means that you're going to need to, to go into a nursing home. And he looked at me and he said, oh, well, it could be worse. And I thought, worse? What could be worse? And um, he said to me, well, at least I'm not dying. And so that was kind of reassuring for me in a way that like through all of this, he still had some semblance of meaning and purpose in his life. And uh, even though that was the most probably the most difficult conversation I've I've had with anyone certainly outside of work. It was uh, there was that little silver lining in him saying, "Well, at least uh, it could be worse. At least I'm not dying." And um, I, I was thinking back actually now, just telling the story that some of the most difficult conversations I've had with my patients has been not so much the end of life, but that transition from home care to residential aged care that they've been really some of the the most difficult conversations um, 
for me because like marita said earlier that that feeling of of letting people down thinking again about my dad and the people that i care for that like with my dad that i've known way before they ever got dementia and seeing them uh, right at the end of their life looking at them and just having this overwhelming feeling that the person seems somehow diminished like like they look smaller in the bed all of a sudden they they're not they don't look the same of course they are the same person but there's this image of in my mind of them i can think of half a dozen patients probably who i knew way before they had dementia and then the last time or the last few times i saw them in in bed just they look so small and then it was the same for my dad and my grandfather the loss was so visible and tangible right at the end and that's very it was hard to witness it was hard with my grandfather it was hard with my father and it was hard with my patients as well so i think we've probably covered almost everything the only thing i just wanted to reflect on briefly was the fact that you know after somebody passes away from dementia or, or any illness we often as the gps are there looking after the carers once again and their loss, as you said, Hilton, the through the bereavement, but also their loss in terms of perhaps their role as a carer no longer being something that they're doing. And I think it's important to know that, you know, just because the person who's living with dementia is no longer there, there's a whole support network who we continue to support long after that person has died which is also something that we we do routinely in our day-to-day care but even more perhaps with dementia it's a longer lasting sometimes thing because it sometimes some of that grief starts before the person has died I think and I think the other thing with the grief after someone dies from dementia is that there's often a greater sense of guilt perhaps that or almost ambivalence that the person who's died, there's like a sense of relief that their suffering is over and, and people feel a bit guilty about that. I think it's because you're that thing about being the substitute decision maker and the responsibility that the carers have for making many, many decisions on behalf of their loved one. That's where that maybe comes from because you want to have done the best that you can for that person and you're trying to act in accordance with their wishes, but you're still making loads of decisions on on their behalf. And some of those might be things like, you know, deciding not to send someone to hospital or deciding not to have antibiotics in conjunction with the doctor. But all those things weigh heavily on the person. And I think they maybe don't have time to reflect about it during the process because it's all too busy but afterwards you then look back and think well did I did I do the right thing then or was there something else I could have done and I think I from a personal perspective I think I felt really relieved for my dad when he died of course we were all sad and I think having you know watched him I guess deteriorate and and 
Yeah, my my overall sense was I think that we had done the very best we could to provide the very best care for dad. And he certainly had family members with him when he passed away. And it was, although he was in a little bit of distress, it was fairly quick and he was at peace fairly quickly. So, so I felt very relieved for him. And of course I felt sad, but I also felt like I'd made those times to to see him and make the most of what we could. I think this is where I come back to the, I guess, the discussions around the trajectory of the illness and where I think it is really important to have those difficult conversations. And we know that they are really hard conversations to talk about death and dying with dementia because it's not as easy as something like a cancer where we have a fairly clear trajectory. Like you said before, Steph, it sort of is very varied. It can be a quick trajectory or it can be a very slow and gradual gradual trajectory for, for people with dementia. So it, it can be harder to know when to have those conversations and, and how to have them. But I think the recognition that dementia is a terminal illness, the need to have the discussions to avoid unnecessary transfers to hospital, unnecessary burdensome interventions in those last stages of life, because I think that's where a lot of regret can come in, where people have seen their their parent shipped off to hospital because of an infection where then they have bloods, drips, IVs, antibiotics, and don't necessarily get better anyway. And it's not been a comfortable or a peaceful um, end of life. That's an important discussion that does need to be be had. And there are some really useful resources that we can add in that specifically address talking about dementia and dying to come into play somewhere along that trajectory. Well, thanks very much, Marita and Hilton, for sharing some of your personal experiences. I know it must be hard to talk about both of your fathers in such an intimate way, I guess. But I think we've all learnt a lot about how challenging it can be, even when we do have some prior knowledge to, you know, to to really support somebody living with dementia. And uh, as always, it's been fantastic speaking with you, Steph and Marita. If you want more resources, head to our website, dta.com.au slash GP or follow Dementia Training Australia on Facebook or at Dementia Train AU on Twitter. If you're a person living with dementia, or if you're a family member or carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is 1800 100 500, or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia, which is funded by the Australian Government.